Hey Habibis, just wanted to let you all know that Habibti Please is part of the Harbinger Media Network. This network is super important to me and others because it's a progressive group of voices creating independent media that challenges predominant narratives that we see in right-wing and liberal media presently today. We're also working with the Left Journal Passage as a founding partner to build a media ecosystem that creates space for left progressive voices in Canadian discourse. Passage has been doing amazing work covering topics that have not been covered very well and mainstream media, so the eviction blitzes, kind of Canada's media corporate bias, and the Liberal government's attempts presently to uh, claw back CERB, uh, which is horrible and awful for many Canadians right now when the rules were so confusing. And so I want to recommend some shows uh, that are part of this network that I personally enjoy. So Rob Rousseau's 49th Parallel, as well as Feel Rouge, which is an Indigenous storytelling series that featured stories from Indigenous communities in the far north of Quebec. This episode of Hibibdi Please was graciously produced by Andre Goulet, who is the executive director of Harbinger Media Network. And Harbinger Media is listener supported. So please head over to harbingermedianetwork.com and subscribe where you can get subscriber specific content. So yeah, hope you all enjoy the show today. Today, we are really lucky to have Jessica Bell from the Ontario NDP, and Jessica serves as the Ontario NDP critic of housing, tenant rights, and urban planning. Prior to being elected in June 2018, she served as the founding executive director of TTC Riders, uh, which who are fighting to improve Toronto transit, and we've featured uh, TTC Riders members on this show before. Uh, She's been a lecturer at Ryerson University, the director of the California Food and Justice Coalition, and an advocate for environmental justice. Uh, And today we're really excited to have her on the show. Thanks for having me. Hi, Jessica. It's really nice to meet you. Um, I'm actually one of your constituents, so this is a cool opportunity for us to engage. So tell us how you're doing today. Well, I'm pretty good. My kids are back at school, so that has a mixture of anxiety and relief uh, associated with it. Like everyone else, the pandemic uh, weighs on my mind every day, but overall I'm good. And can you tell us a bit about how you got into Ontario politics? Yeah, before I was elected, I was the executive director of TTC Riders. It's a transit advocacy organization. And the province is really lacking in providing enough investment to ensure everyone has world-class public transit. So one of the reasons why I decided to run is because we need the province to step up and improve public transit for everyone. And the second reason is that the province has a huge amount of power over many of the things that have a significant uh, impact on our daily lives from the how good our education system is to how affordable housing is to the quality of public transit that we can receive uh, to the kind of healthcare system that we have so when i was thinking about where to run the province by and large stood out as a place where i could make the most difference on the issues that i cared about thank you so much so you know speaking on some of the issues that the province deals with transit is, is one of them and especially the, the intersection of transit and, and urban planning. Um, we're thinking, I'm thinking of the Toronto subway expansions, 
how the downtown relief line was turned into the Ontario line, um, as well as uh, potential for expanded subways in Scarborough that nobody is really asking for. And so I'm wondering about how this government has sort of steamrolled municipalities in the planning process. But at the same time, like they're actually getting things built that have taken like years and years under liberal leadership. So what's the kind of trade off there? And um, are we getting transit, but at a cost? And, and how can we maybe get the best of both worlds? That's an excellent question. It's a question a lot of Torontonians think about because every week you like turn on the, on, you know, turn on the news and hear about some politician who's saying they're going to build new, some new transit line, but everyone is still on the bus. Nothing really is being built. The government, the Ontario government talks a good talk about how they're going to get things done and build things quickly. But the reality is they have built nothing in the two and a half years that they have been in power. And we have gone backwards uh, when it comes to um, investing in transit. The amount of money that they have dedicated in each budget to building new transit lines has decreased. The progress that was being made to build the relief line, now called the Ontario line, has actually gone backwards. If we had stuck with the Liberal government's plan or the previous plan, the shovels would already be in the ground. We were meant to have start that, started that project last year. So it is very frustrating to see, once again, governments uh, using and manipulating people's genuine desire to just get where they want to go quickly on public transit to achieve their own political goals, but actually not putting money where their mouth is. If what I believe is that it's not just about building new transit lines, it's also about what are we going to do to make the like people who catch public transit's lives better now. And the number one thing we can do right now is to invest heavily in municipal transit systems. So the 150 plus routes that we already have operating in Toronto can run more efficiently, more often, and riders can get a cheaper price. We could do that within a period of six months if we just put money into operating. But this government has said, no, not interested. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And thanks for putting that into perspective, because I think the PR machine does a good job of making it seem like things are happening. Um, but you're right, like when, when we put this into perspective, when plans are changed, then that's taking a step back. Um, and, you know, both Nashua and I have lived in, in Hamilton before. And so we've also been very disappointed with the cancellation of the Hamilton LRT. And so there's actually been a cancellation of green and environmentally friendly transit projects, but at the same time, now uh, recently a new highway was announced, Highway 413, and critics actually will, I think, rightly say that this is going to encourage more urban sprawl and basically giving an impetus for developers to start developing much further north of existing urban sprawl um, around the GTA and, and potentially creep into the green belt and like thinking of the environmental ramifications of that. So um, I'm curious as to, to your take on some of the consequences of these developments and um, is like all hope sort of lost given that like this is a project that the government is probably really uh, going to push forward? That's a really excellent question. There are a lot of people all across Southern Ontario who are pretty upset about the Ontario government's plan to build a new highway. Because when you look at the studies, it, the average uh, driver will uh, have an increased uh, or a, a sped up commute by about 30 seconds. 
that is like an obscene amount of money to spend just to increase drivers, uh, decrease drivers commute by 30 seconds. What is also concerning is that we now know that building highways is not, it is not a very effective way at speeding up everyone's commute overall. Some more sensible ways to uh, make it easier for people to travel to work and school is to invest in public transit, A, and then second, to plan right. It really matters where you put your schools and your businesses and your homes. If you do really smart urban planning where you have um, employment lands and building where there is an increased densification, so you've got more people living in one area uh, in a way that is livable, uh, and you also um, have amenities nearby like community centers and, and shops, then you reduce the need for people to travel one and a half hours each way uh, in the first place. And it also makes a more environmentally friendly and livable city. So we really need to rethink urban planning so we're not just building out and then creating highways to uh, cater to this urban sprawl. But how can we build up in a in a reasonable way where we can also build the, the communities and the um, services that we need to ensure people can have a good life, even if they just want to walk and take public transit or bike around? It's, it's a fundamental shift to how, to how we want to build our cities for the future. Yeah, and um, speaking of how we think about the, the natural and built environments we live in, um, recently the Ontario NDP launched the Green New Democratic Deal. The Green New Deal as a name gets a lot of buzz, understandably. We see that from the U.S. and just like the, the way environmental activists have been pushing for any form of a Green New Deal to occur um, across this country. And can you tell us what a Green New uh, democratic deal means on a provincial level? Uh, I'm very excited by our new Green New Deal plan because we have to give everything that we've got to tackle the greatest environmental threat that humanity is facing right now, and that is climate change. Our Green New Deal includes a commitment to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050 and to always respect the science along the way. So if New science reveals that we need to ramp up our um, decrease in greenhouse gas emissions, and we need to respect that science uh, and respond accordingly. Because my kids, your kids, future kids, future generations, like our way of life is at stake. What I also think is important is that when I first got involved in environmentalism, and even today this exists, there's this false debate that if you care about the environment, then you're anti-job. I think that that idea is completely false because when you invest in a green new economy, you can also create good, decent jobs at the same time. That's the beauty of this Green New Deal platform is that we also we have our environmental commitment, but then we also have this promise to uh, invest in public transit and to retrofit and build new homes and buildings so that we can hire people along the way. It's a win-win. And uh, how, like, it is something that impacts everybody uh, differentially, but does impact everybody, like you said. So how do uh, we build cross-partisan support when it is an issue that impacts everyone and you have um, the majority government kind of almost rules like a monarch because of the way seats are done in this kind of voting system, first past the post, it's really hard uh, that to, to be able to, like, coalition build and do anything when you have one government each seating 
that gets to kind of rule um, the house. And so as well as like, I guess climate justice, like you said, people don't always talk about the job aspect. Um, and, and climate justice also entails like justice for racialized communities in these kind of turnovers of Green New Deals, often like Black, Indigenous, and people of color are left behind um, by the climate change movement or kind of, so climate justice is what's wanted. So I guess if we could touch on a few of those things. Yeah, so you bring up two really important points. Uh, in the last election, uh, Doug Ford uh, won less than 40% of the vote, but he holds the majority of the seats. On our side of the house, where you've got the NDP and the Liberals and the Greens, we got nearly 70% of the vote, but we have less seats. What that speaks to is the need for us to change our voting system and have electoral reform. So we move away from a first-past-the-post system and we move to, um, you know, a made-in-Ontario proportional representation system where people's vote really matters. The second thing is that I, I would love to build a coalition with the PC Conservatives on addressing climate change and tackling climate justice, but they have shown themselves each and every day that they really don't care about climate justice or the environment at all. So I just think we need to vote them out of office in 2022, and that is my approach to coalition building. They have got to go. The um, really critical question you addressed at the end there is how do we tackle um, how do we bring everyone along with us when we're transitioning to a, a green economy? We can't just say we're only going to make an economy for people who are already doing well, especially when the impacts of climate change are very clearly affecting racialized people, indigenous people, young people and poorer people way more than everyone else. And often they're the people that have contributed the least to the problem. Uh, in our plan, uh, and there's many ways to tackle that. I want to give examples of two in our plan where we do. Uh, one is that there needs to be just transitions. So for, um, you know, lower income workers, people who work in um, fossil fuel extractive industries, there needs to be a transition plan to move uh, those people into good, decent paying uh, new uh, sectors so that they are not disenfranchised and left out of the future. And then the second thing is we need a just transition for First Nations people as well, especially for First Nations people up north. We know when we look at the science that the impact of climate change up north is dramatic. They're seeing massive temperature increases in a very short period of time. That's affecting everything from the foundation of their homes uh, because um, uh, the ground is melting much faster to uh, you know, doing away with ice roads that allow people to go into flying communities using trucks in the middle of winter on ice roads. They're no longer as stable as they used to be. So there needs to be um, investments put in place to ensure that they can also adapt uh, to climate change and have a, have a say in our future as well. It's, we need everyone on board. That's a really, it's an excellent question. I'd love to, I'd love to have built a coalition with the PC party if they actually were genuine about this issue but they're not yeah and that's that's why I contextualized with the way the voting system works because it's not representational of what people are desiring a hundred percent so as the tenants rights critic you are obviously aware of skyrocketing rents above guideline increases um, including and especially those from corporate landlords 
Um, and, you know, we've seen the Ontario NDP push for, for more protections for renters. And so can you talk about what some of the, the progress is on that, especially like as people are describing what's happening during COVID as eviction blitzes, you know, coupled with the fact that the landlord tenant board is now online. So it's actually easier to do more hearings. Um, and there's like a, there's like a sort of balance between accessibility of online, but also quite inaccessible to many low-income renters when when things are online. Um, but but really, like, what are some of the advances and, and tenants' rights that we can hope to see or, or that the NDP are pushing for? The issue that renters are facing right now across Ontario and especially in Toronto uh, is, is really scary. In my writing, we have some of the most expensive rents in Canada. Every day we get calls from tenants who are being illegally rent evicted from their homes. We get calls from seniors whose corporate landlord isn't wants to increase the rent by 11% over three years because they can, because of above guideline rent increases. It's, um, there are a lot of people that are scared they're going to have to move out of the city, move back in with their parents, uh, risk homelessness or move into housing, which is not safe, too small. And it's very, um, it's very frustrating because when you look at the, the level of international finance that is coming into our city and making profit off just everyday Torontonians who rent, it's, it's really unconscionable and a lot has to change. I think with the Landlord-Tenant Board, you bring up really important issues because we are hearing very concerning stories about the Landlord-Tenant Board right now where people are not getting access to their fair day in court, where they're being told that their eviction hearing is coming up and they're only being told the day before or they don't even get a notice in the mail that their online hearing is happening. And that is very concerning because this is affecting people's everyday life. It's, we are also hearing stories that the landlord tenant board is fast tracking evictions. Yet when a tenant has something to complain about, like they have a pest management issue or basic repairs, like their, you know, washroom is not being fixed. Those, those requests for hearing are being sidelined and pushed back. So the landlord tenant board is not making fair decisions in terms of who they are choosing to see and how they are ruling. It's very concerning and a lot needs to change. I want to give an example of a few things that we are pushing for that will um, shift the housing market to make it more fair and more affordable for renters. We need um, what's called vacancy control. So if a tenant moves out of their home, the landlord can't just jack up the rent to whatever the market can bear because we're seeing rent increases of up to 100% in that situation. There needs to be some control there. There also needs to be better protections from tenants who are facing illegal evictions. I can't tell you how many times a constituent has called me and said, I know my landlord wants to turn my apartment into an Airbnb, but there is nothing I can do about it because the rules are unfair. And in addition, finally, the government needs to get into the game of building more homes. That includes supportive housing so we can tackle the homelessness crisis. And it also means more affordable housing like co-ops. So people can have a safe, secure place to live and call their own, not just for six months, but for years and years and years. The free market is not doing it. So that's why government needs to get involved and step up. We have the land to do it. 
uh, we have the resources and we know there's a need. Thank you. And I appreciate you bringing up um, the housing crisis. Uh, recently, the city of Toronto has pursued su- suing Halil Seabright, the builder of the tiny shelters. And he put out a statement saying that's just a stopgap measure. So we don't see people like our neighbors die over a brutal winter. Um, and I, so I appreciate you touching on that. And um, the Ontario NDP is, is obviously pushing towards kind of fighting for tenant rights and um, fighting for people to be housed. Um, what are some of the measures for people to have housing that the NDP is fighting for right now? Like yeah. supportive housing, like how, like, I understand that's a city issue. However, um, the MPPs in this city are also like NDP and like, how does that clash with like what maybe city councillors are doing? Yeah, it's a huge issue. We have like one of the biggest homelessness crises that Toronto has ever seen ever right now. Uh, Every park that you go to has people living rough in it because they've got nowhere else to go. We have um, on a like team wide level, uh, our office has organized food drives and encampment support drives just to provide immediate help to people so that they can get through this winter alive because there there is that element that needs to be done we just need to help people survive but then we also need long-term solutions and long-term solutions in call include having the province step up and provide enough money to the city so that we can house people in permanent homes that might look like hotels in the immediate future but then it also needs to be transitioned over to permanent homes so that people can build a community. There's a reason why someone who is homeless does not want to go live in a hotel in Scarborough when their whole community and their safety network is downtown in a park. There's a reason why they don't want to do that because they don't feel safe. They won't have, they won't have, you know, they won't have their neighbors. They won't have their friends. They don't know how long they're going to stay there. So there's that risk too. So people need um, stability. The, and what is also important to know is that the province by and large has done very little to help the city tackle the homelessness crisis. The number one thing they can do right now is to provide funding so we can buy the necessary buildings uh, and invest in the necessary buildings and provide support like social workers and whatnot to keep people safe and housed. It's not... We know what needs to be done. It's 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 a tough issue, but we do know what needs to be done. But there's been a real lack of political will. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us that insight. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. And it's, it's really great to think about what's happening on a provincial level. And so thank you for coming and taking the time to speak with us. Um, where can people find you online and stay up to date with the work that you're doing? I have a website, jessicabellmpp.ca. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. Please follow me. Please reach out. If you're a constituent uh, constituent University Rosedale, I really encourage you to join our email list because then you can get like the latest news from Queen's Park and how it's affecting us in our writing. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me too. These are excellent questions. And these are the issues that you raise are the issues I get every day from constituents. Hey, these episodes take a small team. Solo episodes are hosted by me, Ashwalina Khan. American political episodes are co-hosted by Dawson Kimian. Canadian political episodes are co-hosted by Ryan Deshpande. Music and art for Hibipti Please is done by Post America and Johnny Zapras. Editing is done by Johnny Zapras. 
production assistance by Raymond Hanano and Dawson Kimian and sometimes some other Habibis on our team. Consider giving to us on Patreon to help fuel our team with chai and other fun things at Patreon forward slash Habibti please. And you can find us on Twitter at Habibti please with a B. This takes a bit of money and your support helps us carry on the show and continue producing some unique content. So it's much appreciated. Yalla, let's grab some tea and shisha. Mm-hmm.